Now, you know, if you've listened to previous episodes of The Chalene Show, how important it is to take care of your your health and what we put in our bodies and what we put on our bodies is so important. I have fallen in love with Teamy Blends serums. They are amazing. They are all natural. They're infused with real tea ingredients. And can I just tell you right now about their vitamin C serum? First of all, it smells so good that I'm like, I can't even believe that this doesn't have, I don't know, fragrances in it. How could this be all natural? Well, it is. They use hibiscus flower, hydrolonic acid, which totally hydrates your skin, and it it makes your skin hold on to moisture. It also includes vitamin C, and of course, that molecule is so important for your skin health. It's rich in antioxidants, and it's just, again, also super hydrating, and it's got a lot of protective benefits. The way this thing smells, I'm obsessed. It smells like grapefruit and vitamin C. It just, I don't know what it is. My skin looks lighter and brighter and tighter, And that's the whole purpose behind using a vitamin C serum. Now, you want to put your serums on underneath your lotions. Teamy has some great lotions, too. I love their green tea detox. If you follow me on stories, you know that I use all of their natural products. They've got some wonderful oils that I use on my skin. And what I love about the Teamy line of products is I always know that they are 100% organic. And hello, this is a female-based company. We love that manufactured right here in the USA. Timmy is a fan of The Chalene Show. Timmy is a fan of you, and that's why they are giving you 20% off everything you can find at Timmy Blend. So you go to Timmy, and it's, I'll spell it T-E-A-M-I, like Timmy with an I at the end, blends.com. Use the code Chalene20, and that will get you 20% off freaking everything on their site. Again, You'll love everything and you can buy with confidence and know that what you're putting on your skin is all natural, all organic. That is Teamy, T-E-A-M-I, blends.com. Enter the code Shaleen20 for 20% off. And again, all their products are great, but if you're going to pick up one, definitely, definitely get their vitamin C serum. You will not regret it. Hey, super excited you're here. Thank you for joining me today. Wow, do I have an inspirational guest for you to hear from today? Her name is Jamie Kern Lima, and the story that we'll talk about today will inspire you to believe in yourself. You might recognize the name Jamie Kern Lima. Maybe not. Maybe you'd recognize her face. For sure you would if you've ever watched QVC. So I was introduced to her makeup line called It Cosmetics. Gosh, probably back in 2004 or five by my makeup artist and remember just falling in love with the products, absolutely falling in love with the products. And then hearing kind of through friends and other makeup artists about how remarkable this woman was and and the name she was making for herself on QVC. At that time, I was dying to get on QVC. I had a fitness program that had just been launched to consumers. And so that was one of my goals. And so I watched QVC all the time. I remember watching Jamie and how it was just captivating. She would take off all of her makeup and she had really bad rosacea. And I just remember thinking, this is so freaking cool. Like I look horrible with my makeup off. My skin is red and splotchy. I don't have rosacea, but I have like Scottish skin that's been sun damaged and 
it's much more consistent now. But like then in particular, my skin was like really red and splotchy. And so watching her on QVC was just remarkable to see like, wow, this looks so natural. And what a courageous woman. Because at the time, like friggin' nobody was doing that. Nobody was doing that. The models were always models, you know, who looked gorgeous with porcelain skin. And you thought to yourself, "Mm, really? How is this going to help me? This person is already stunning and beautiful. And Jamie would take off all of her own makeup and it was just a jaw dropper. And she would have models on demonstrating on their skin. And they were women of all sizes and ages and colors and skin types. And it was a remarkable hit. But the story of how she started this company and the trials and tribulations that she experienced with her own body image, her appearance, and what it took to believe in herself is nothing short of inspirational. She tells the story of being on the news. So she'd studied broadcasting. She was a broadcast journalist. She's on TV. And she was so embarrassed by her rosacea that she would like kind of try to concoct her own versions of ways to cover it up. And she could get it to look pretty decent on camera. But there were times where the makeup would start to just heat up under the lights and it would start to crack. And she could hear in her earpiece a producer saying, like, there's something on your cheek. There's something on your face. And she knew, yeah, that's my makeup coming off. It's my rosacea. So it was a real problem that she had to solve. And like so many other entrepreneurs and people who change the world, you start by just trying to solve your own problem. And that's exactly what Jamie did. So she developed her own makeup to cover up the rosacea. She and her husband decided to launch, to start their own makeup company. Now, she didn't have any experience in this area other than her own personal quest to cover up her rosacea. She developed a formulation and basically bootstrapped it, trying to sell it to every single makeup company you can imagine. The first three years were nothing but rejections, and that really took a toll, not just on them emotionally, but financially. And it was at a makeup show. I forget what the name of it was. One of those like big conventions, one of those shows where like all the little makeup lines show up and some of the big guys show up and you're trying to make an impression on them and get a meeting. Well, at that particular show with 6,000 other exhibitors, they took notice of Jamie and her product. And she met someone who made an introduction for her to QVC. QVC loves homegrown stories where the founder, the inventor is a big part of the story. Like they have a why. Because when you have a why, it sells. People relate to the why, sometimes even more so than the product. They love Jamie's story. They got her on QVC. They were down to, I think, their last $100, her and her husband, worried that they were going to have to file for bankruptcy. In fact, they had to take out a loan just to get on QVC because when you go on QVC, you have to be able to guarantee that you'll be able to fulfill the orders should you sell what you need to sell in order to be invited back on QVC. QVC is this wild, wild beast. It is live. It's never recorded. If you mess up, too bad. It was live TV. If you're on TV and you freeze up, the host will do her best to try to help you. But if your sales aren't coming through, they'll pull you off the air and cut to the next scene. If you've ever watched QVC and it's like, whoa, wait, where are they going? And they just switch scenes and they go to the next product. Is probably because the product you were watching wasn't selling. So she knows this is our moment. This is our chance. If we don't sell enough of this under eye concealer in the next 10 minutes, we'll never be invited back. We'll have all this inventory and this will truly be over. So she goes on TV 
She's nervous about the way that she looks and her appearance, her weight, everything. And she is shaking like a leaf. They go live. And before you know it, in her earpiece, she starts hearing the dark shade has sold out. The medium tone has sold out. She's hearing all of these products that are selling out and she couldn't even contain her authentic joy. She just started crying. Like, and her husband came running down to meet her in the hallway after she stepped off the sound stage and he was like, We don't have to file for bankruptcy. Like, the story is just remarkable. She went on to appear eight more times that year on QVC, which is, again, it's pretty huge. See, the only way you get invited back to QVC is if you outdo the numbers the last time you were there, basically. And then eventually she was on, I think, something like 100 times. Ultimately, she was there eight years, some years appearing more than 250 times. And I have to tell you, it's exhausting. It's so much pressure. The demands are insane. Her journey to get to this place, it's literally just so inspirational. Get this. Today, It Cosmetics is the largest American makeup company. It's bigger than Lancome. It's bigger than MAC. It's bigger than Dior. It's bigger than so many of the makeup retailers that you can think of right now. And it's Jamie's belief in herself that helped them to get to that place. Eventually, Jamie sold her company, and we'll hear a little bit about that on today's show. But most importantly, I want you to take away what it truly means to turn down the volume of your own self-doubt and just believe in yourself. Well, Jamie, it is so fun to see you up close and personal, having spent hours watching you on QVC. I became a QVC and infomercial student. And so Mm. I really loved the authenticity that came through when I watched you. And even though we're in two different industries and I was on QVC and on infomercials for fitness, there was so much about who you are that I was like, she resonates with me. And I think for that reason, people will resonate with who I am and what I look like and what I don't look like. And I kind of like to start, if we can, all the way back. There's a part in your book, and I'm going to misquote it, but basically you just said, you remember feeling angry that we'd been kind of lied to as women that you know everything was airbrushed and perfect and you're almost like angry and you'd enough with feeling like you weren't enough mm. that that kind of fueled you i'm sure you know anger is a feeling often also associated with sadness right and so how did you take those emotions and turn it into inspiration yeah i love what you just said by the way like I'd had enough with feeling not enough. Mm. That's so good. Like that's so good. <laughs> By the way, I don't many, know if that was from the book, but I remember reading that. I, was, I don't think so. I think it's brilliant out of your, <laughs> literally from you right now in those words, but how many of us, right? And not just as women, but especially as women, if we really think about it, like we've had enough with feeling not enough. I don't know. I'm just, I love that how you just articulated that. So thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I want to write it down before I forget it. It's so good. Yeah. And you know, I had that realization almost by accident when I was kind of going through this big setback, what I thought was a big setback in my journey of my own dreams and goals. And I went through this really rough season and Joel Osteen says this best that sometimes our setbacks are really setups, right? Mm -hmm. For what we're called to do. And I didn't know that's what was happening at the time because 
when we go through these like really hard times, A, it just sucks. And B, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel fair or we don't see it as like, how could this possibly be something that is fate or meant to be or setting us up for something better? So for me, I was in this season where I was working as a television news anchor. And by the way, I'll finish this story, but and not to hop <laughs> all over, but I'm so impressed. Just, I just have to say this. You talking about being a student of infomercials, of television, over the eight years I spent in the QVC green room and doing thousands of shows, I met so many brand founders and entrepreneurs and they kind of never lasted. Most of them, I'd say maybe 99%. And the two things that I noticed made the difference Mm -hmm. with the ones that actually built something over time Mm -hmm. is they were humble enough to be a student (laughs) Mm. Because I was like a student, right? I was like, okay, how do I figure this out? How do I, you know, understand how to communicate on television? And and the other thing was the authenticity piece. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, you can't fake authenticity, right? And I think, as you know, and so many of us, so many thought leaders talk about how the only way to have a real human connection with anybody is to show up authentically. And when we don't, when we show up as like our representative or whatever, we create a barrier. And that can also be a barrier with customers, right? So there's so many people right. online building their online businesses or courses or communities. They're wondering why they're not getting traction and they're comparing themselves to everyone else and all those things. And I think so many times the one thing that changes everything is when they're just kind of like F it and they fully show up, right? As yeah. your authentic yeah. self, the way you do showing your eyelashes on your counter <laughs> and all these things. Oh, like you mean these? <laughs> those. <laughs> when I see them, I'm like, oh, I connect with you because I feel, you know what I'm saying? And it's like yeah. that through line. And just to share this really quick, sorry, it's, I know it's a side note, but after spending eight years and like hundred hour weeks in the QVC green room and seeing thousands and thousands of brand founders and entrepreneurs, you know, take their shot at their dream on the air. And most of them only last one show ever. Right. I started looking back at like, what is this commonality between the people that last and the people that make it and the people that are able to build something that lasts and that matters. And the big epiphany I had was, oh, the people who are the same on air as they mm. are in the green room for better or worse, like they yeah. weren't at all similar, but the people that were the same on air as they were in the green room are the ones that lasted. And I was like, huh. And it it was this big thing to your point that you started this out with just on how you can't fake authenticity. And I feel like, because so many people get so sidetracked with comparison, especially in the social media world. And then they see competitors doing one thing and they get distracted and think they need to do all these things. And it's like, none of that actually sets you up for success. If you get rid of all of it and just show up with your eyelashes on your counter full out. Mm -hmm. That's your power. And I saw that play out over and over and over and over again. And I feel like when people actually get that, it's freeing because we start to feel enough (laughs) because we realize like trying to change who we are for anyone else. (laughs) It's hard. It's exhausting. And also it just creates a barrier of disconnection, no matter what area of life, whether it's like personal relationships or even relationships with customers. And I just think that it's so freeing when everyone 
in their own time and in their own journey, you know, sees that play out around them or gets that lesson, I feel like it's the most freeing thing ever because it takes a lot of pressure off because you don't need to be anything other than who you are. And your only journey should be, how do I step into all of who I am, <laughs> right? What's interesting, um, though, is when, when we're feeling insecurities, you know, you've, I'm obviously familiar with the term imposter syndrome. And I've always said, mm. imposter syndrome isn't a bad term. You have to be good at being an imposter before you are actually the thing. It's like little girls, you watch them, and they impersonate what it's like to be a mommy or to play house mm. or to be a teacher or whatever it is, a doctor a lawyer, whatever. And I remember every job I ever had from age like 16 on day one, I always felt like, what am I doing here? I better pretend that I belong here. I better act like all the other people I see. And you know, it's not authentic, but that's kind of how you survive in the beginning is to just like, oh, I'll just impersonate what I think I'm supposed to be acting and doing. And that's just what we do to make ourselves fit in and it's all that we know. And I think for so many people, we do that until we're like, okay, what happens if I just try this little thing and see how people respond to it when I'm actually myself? What was that mm. moment for you? And walk us through the fear yeah. that you had before you did it and what was it? Yes, okay. Oh my gosh, hearing you talk about this, Makes me so excited because my instincts are I want I literally just want to ask you questions for the whole show, <laughs> which is you know what I mean because you also went on that journey in your own fitness whole yeah. world. Oh, yeah. I think you're Guinness, you are Guinness yes. world record holder. Crazy. I'm literally doing a show with a Guinness world record holder <laughs> right now, and uh, my mom and, is so and proud. Then, yeah, well, and then you transitioned to like sharing all the stuff. Anyways, yeah, I love it. One thing you said too, and this is something that I went on my own journey for of doing that, is I, I remember, you know, when Oprah once said when she started, she would try to pretend and mimic Barbara Walters when mm -hmm. she would go on television, right? And then she eventually had this realization after she was comfortable in that space, kind of to your point, where she was like, oh, I think I could be a better version of yeah. Oprah than I can yeah. be of Barbara Walters. So yeah, I definitely what was that had moment for you? Like, what was big that? moment. Do you remember that moment where you're like, I'm going to just do this and yeah. let's see how it goes? I do. And, and it came after that season of big setbacks. So what I mean by that is I was, you know, I was anchoring the news. And since the time I was a little girl, I would sit in my living room, I'd watch Oprah. And I thought my whole life, I want to interview other people. That's what I wanted to tell other people's stories. And so after school, I was working as a news anchor and I started in real small market news. And much like being a student, by the way, to your point earlier, I had friends that got their internships in big stations. And But sometimes when you go in the really big, fancy stations, you kind of just pour coffee or whatever. And yeah. I went to an unpaid internship in Yakima, Washington, where it was like the team was so lean that you had to do everything. So I got to learn how to write copy and edit video tape to tape, old school and shoot one man band style, right? Everything like all the, and run the teleprompter yep. with the foot pedal while I was, you know, doing a story and all those things. And I just knew that's what I want to do. And so I had, you know, I was working in TV news and I thought this is going to be my whole career. And I'd worked up to a station, a Fox, local Fox station in Portland, Oregon. And I was anchoring the weekend morning news. And this sort of big season of self-doubt, big season of setback came when I started getting this 
skin condition called rosacea, which is hereditary. There's no cure for it. And for me, it would get so severe that like my cheeks would, they'd feel like sandpaper. I, I would get huge bumps all over and I would be anchoring the news live. And then I would hear in my earpiece from the producer, there's something on your face. There's something on your face. Can you wipe it off like live in the show? And I knew I couldn't wipe it off. <laughs> and I knew what it was, was that makeup breaking up and the, and the mm. redness coming through. So for the first time in my life, I started being aware of makeup and buying, you know, I spend my paycheck, which isn't very much in television news, started buying products like uh, from the pro makeup artist shops and then the drugstores and then anything I could get from department stores. I would try to get the free samples first. And then after that, I would try to be like, okay, it's a $200 foundation, but maybe this works, right? And yeah. no matter what it was, it didn't work. It either wouldn't cover it or it'd be so thick that I would be talking on the news and it would look like a mask of clay cracking, yeah. right? And so I went through this season of self-doubt, the season of thinking, okay, am I going to get fired? Am I going to lose viewers, you know, because I went to a dermatologist to explain there's no cure and I got all the prescription stuff and none of it was working. And I had this kind of big aha moment where I thought, wow, if I can figure out like how to make a product that works, it'll help me, but it may help so many other people out there too. And in that journey, right? But by the way, I knew nothing about the beauty industry. I had no connections. I didn't know how it was possible. I just started getting this kind of like kind of like knowing, I guess. And I, mm -hmm. well, what if, could I figure it out? Could I do it? What would happen? And I didn't realize at the time that it was a big setback. That was a setup <laughs> to something I was supposed to do. On this journey though, when we talk about going from imposter into just full confidence of who we finally are, I had a big epiphany happen. And I realized, you know, after, after trying so many products out there, I realized, why can't I freaking find anything that works? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, and this was 2007. I realized, oh, my whole life, to the point of your question, my whole life, I've always seen these ads on television or in magazines selling beauty products. And the models always have perfect skin. Yeah. And I've never seen anyone that has, you know, bright red rosacea with bumps on it in an ad. And then I realized, oh, I don't even know if they're wearing the product they're selling. And then I realized this whole kind of big epiphany of, you know, that my life as a little girl, then growing up, when I would see those ads, I would love them. I would aspire to look like that. But yet deep down inside, they always made me feel like I wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. And this big kind of moment came over me where I was like, you know what? And by the way, I'm going on air as a news anchor every day, trying to look perfect, trying to do all those things. I had this moment where I'm like, oh, what if this isn't even about the product? What if I could figure out how to create a product that works? But then what if I launched this beauty company and I take my makeup off, which I'd never done in my life. Take my makeup off and show, like if I could create a product that works, I'll just take my makeup off and show my bright red rosacea and show how it works. And maybe one day I could get on QVC and then use models that are all different ages and shapes and sizes and skin tones and skin problems and call them beautiful and mean it. And what if I could do something to shift culture in the beauty industry because if I could be successful doing that, I was like, I bet you other brands will copy me. And like, what? You know, I started having these crazy God-sized dreams, right? So you, that, really, you really early in the development of your product that solved the problem for you, early in the yeah. development of that product, you 
were already thinking strategically about how it would be marketed. So where does your marketing prowess come from? Mm. Well, it was marketing and it was also, though, this deep pain, because I think a lot of people will come up with their why for their business, right? We hear about that so much. But this, I think, was God's grace, to be honest, because it was a lifetime of pain and realizing that in a moment and going, Mm. oh, if I can create a product that shifts culture and beauty, maybe I can help redefine beauty for every little girl out there who's about to start doubting herself and every grown woman who still does. And that kind of why, what I didn't know at the time was fast forward three years of rejections, getting this one big shot on QVC, doing over a thousand live shows, living through burnout for years, that that deep why was one of the things that helped me going, not like the Mm. surface why. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people would say, oh, I'm going to create a product that solves my own problems. That's my why. Or, oh, I'm going to help millions of other people out there that have you know, that have want to boost their confidence. And those things would sound really good. But for me, I think it was sheer grace, even Mm. more than marketing genius, although I wish I could take credit. (laughs) But I think it was just sheer grace of like identifying this deep pain. And so I think one thing for so many people out there that have a dream they're working on right now or a goal or their business or anything they're building, I really think a big mistake people make when we talk about tactical stuff is just... They have this why. Well, first of all, a lot of people don't attach a why even to a goal. Mm -hmm. And then they wonder why they gave up on it, right? And I think it's like, but when you do the work of attaching a why to your business or to your goal, I think it's great. But I think a lot of people stop at one that sounds really good when they share it with someone else. So it's like, oh, I want to put my kids through school or something like that. And it's like, oh, that's amazing, right? But is that deep enough, right? And I think when people do the work of going, okay, I want to put my kids through school, but let me peel back those layers deeper. And maybe it's something deeper, like I want to break a generational cycle in my family of X, right. Y, or Z, or I want, right? Going deeper. And it ended up being a why that sustained me through so many other hard times. And really quick to answer your questions, I'm getting. I'm getting so excited talking to you, by the way. This is my first time ever. Like, we're the first time doing our show together. I'm so excited. I hope you know, because I haven't shared this yet. I have so much respect and admiration for everything you've done, everything you've built. Oh, stop like, that. Stop that. No, stop that. I'm this serious. Is about you, Jamie. I know, but it's true. So Let me I'm ask just you a hyper. question, though. And don't take this the wrong way, because I think it's a, a real compliment. Do you have ADD? I don't know. I mean, well, I feel like, like I do. diagnose you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like I do at this moment. Like I'm literally well, I so think, excited I think talking so to you. So many entrepreneurs, yeah, the most successful entrepreneurs do. A lot of us do have ADD and ADHD. And it's one of the, the beautiful gifts of it is that we see little details that right. other people don't see. Like, and they distract us, but we also pay attention to them. And it's those little details that really make a difference. They make a difference in marketing. They make a difference in our ability to like really tell if someone's genuine or if it's a bunch of BS and they're just pretending. And I just sense that you are one of those people. You see all of those details and mm-hmm. it's probably been a gift, obviously. And it also tends to mean that we can become very obsessive. And there was a a stage Mm -hmm. in your life where you write in the book where, you know, 
despite all this success, despite the fact that, you know, the company's making millions, you go on to make millions, you go on from one appearance at QVC to doing multiple appearances to doing like, I think 250 in a year, something yeah, crazy like that. And if people even yeah. knew how intense that is, the travel, the late night appearances, the pressure of being live on TV, there's no like, oh, cut, I messed up. Can we do that again? None of that. And I love that in the book, you actually said, you know, I became very obsessed with my career and the success of it all, yeah. but things suffered. Yes. And I appreciate your honesty there. You say, in fact, that it was hard because looking back, you feel like, you know, I wasn't always there for my husband. I wasn't always there for my friends and family. And I wasn't always there for me and my health. Yes. How has that... Well, I guess we know how it benefited you, right? Because the company was incredibly successful. Are there ever mm -hmm. moments where you think, did I sacrifice too much? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I thank you for bringing that up. I know it's a topic you're super passionate about. And I think it's so important. And I'm, you know, probably 95% of the stories in this book I've never shared. And that's one of the topics I've never talked about. And I think it's so important. And a lot of people see the headlines of it, cosmetics, or they read that I was a Denny's waitress who created a billion dollar company, all those things. But the price that I paid and do I think it's worth it? And do I think you need to pay that price? Right. And when I look back at it now, I think that, you know, I don't believe you have to work 100 hour weeks to build the kind of business that I did. I think that, you know, what happened, Shaleen, was early on when I finally launched this company and I finally thought, oh, wow, you know, I've spent all my money on savings. I have a product I really believe in. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be huge. What I didn't know would happen, and maybe a lot of a lot of your community, maybe if they're in their own journey of launching something, could relate to this. I wasn't ready for how hard it would be, mm -hmm. and I wasn't ready. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? And I thought, oh, if you just create a product and you actually have this one in a million that you think is going to work, it's just going to sell. And literally, that's not what happened. So for three years, everyone said no. So I'd gone through this season of Sephora saying no, Ulta, QVC said no for three years and said, you're literally, quote unquote, you're not the right fit for us or for our customers. And when you hear this over and over and over and over, when we finally got one shot on QVC, when we were down to under $1,000 in our bank account, which was personal and business combined, and we had this one big shot that I talk about in the book and like how it happened and what happened and all that. And I risked everything in that shot. And when we had success and then got welcomed back and started growing, I actually had this whole version of imposter syndrome at that time that even though I had stepped past trying to be a representative and even though on QVC, I took my makeup off before there was YouTube and people doing it, right? Like took my makeup off and showed my bare face and I cast models of all ages and sizes and I did all this stuff. So I'd step past that person and into my full self that way. Yeah. A whole nother level of imposter syndrome happened at the time when we started getting success. Because after three years of hearing no from everybody, you're not the right fit. We don't like your packaging. We don't think women will buy makeup from, you know, someone who looks like you. All these things, right, that I talk mm -hmm. about that I heard and got told. And 
three years of that, we started getting success. And I literally, I, I think deep down inside, I couldn't even believe it, right? So okay. it was happening. And I was, I remember so many times thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to drive myself harder because oh, I girl, need to strike girl, while the iron is about hot, it. <laughs> right? Like, oh, oh my gosh, like we just crushed a goal on QVC. Like, okay, you know, it's on. This might come crashing down at any yeah. moment. And it was Absolutely all this. Absolutely. So relate. Do you relate to this? Oh, and completely. Th- yeah. And, and so I drove myself so hard and no matter what level it got to, right? We, we went years without being able to afford to hire anybody. And then we built up to over a thousand employees and we became the number one brand in QVC in beauty, number one beauty brand in their history and all these things. And I still, it took Sephora six years to finally say yes, but I still was just like, oh my gosh, this might come crashing down. Is this real? So there was never peace. Never peace. And and I look back and go, oh, I forgot I'm so many times to enjoy it. Mm. Every time- Well, we can enjoy it when we're in pursuit of something that we believe will then validate us. You know, so for all of us, especially if you get your value, which I did until I went to therapy, you get your value from your last accomplishment, your last achievement, your last annual sales review, like whatever that last big hit was. If that's where you believe your value comes from, you can't rest. You have to keep setting the bar higher and higher and higher, which is a complete impossibility. It's just an impossibility and it's exhausting, but we're not taught these things. We're taught like, you know, here's how you goal set, set a very measurable amount that your company is going to achieve or that you're going to earn in the next. And we, we just talk about things. We talk about money. We talk about rank. We talk about achievement, but we don't talk about what it is we want to feel and who we are Mm -hmm. and what it is that makes us truly valuable. I have to imagine And I don't know, but I have to imagine that you got to a place where you were like, this never ends if I don't make a change. And how much of that factored into your decision to sell the company? Yeah, that was the number one. I said, there's two big reasons to sell the company, but that was the biggest one was that. And the other thing, when you talk about feeling, Shaleen, too, is I realized, and this was a couple of years in, I realized, oh, that all of the buyers at different retailers had told me no for so long. And then they finally gave me a shot. And that people pleaser thing inside of so many of us were raised to have. I thought, oh, I need to hit goal for them. Are they happy with it? Right. And then every time we'd hit a big sales goal, I had this realization, oh, I didn't feel joy. I felt relief. It was always relief, right? It was never fulfillment. And so, you know, in that journey, I mean, I did so many things wrong, by the way, which I talk about in the book. And one of the things I did right was, you know, the why helped me get through it, the why beneath the why, but also just making everything not about me. That was really one way I was able to show up authentically over and over and over on QVC. Because if you show up live and you're burnt out or you're trying to sell something Mm. or you, you know, it's not going to sell. And so I was like, okay, showing up 250 times live for eight years straight. (laughs) And there were days, you know this, oh my gosh, because you've experienced this too, where you see behind the scenes of everything, right? A lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, I'm creating something. I didn't realize there's all these other parts to it. And there's the administration and the legal and the IP. It's just like that, right? Showing up at QVC, you get this 
incredible, awesome experience and exposure. But then there's all the other sides, which are the hours, the time you put in the producer meetings, the host meetings, all the stuff, right? So it ends up being a lot of time. And yeah. there were days I'd walk in that building. Did you move to Pennsylvania during that time? No, but we, after I think it was six, four years in, four years in or six years in, we bought a house there because I was staying between 180 nights a year. And, and I know the hotel. At the hotel. <laughs> yes. You're like one. Yes. So I was living on it. Like I had a suitcase in my car at all times. And it was wild too, because I would do the show because sometimes, you know, you'd be on at 3 a.m. in the morning or whenever it is, they give you a live airing. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize too, I've found is that, you know, you can sell more in an hour on QVC than you can sell like as a beauty company all year in a department store, right? You're not going to be asked back unless you hit these insane, insane quotas. Yes, exactly. And so Which every just keep time, titrating up. The, the more yes. successful you are, the more they continue <laughs> to titrate up. Yes. You know, Jamie, I can't help but ask, being on TV that much as a woman and stripping off all of your makeup and knowing that you're in the public eye and the more fame and notoriety, like you have this huge, humongous tribe of people who just love you. They love the brand, but they fell in love with the brand because they fell in love with you. They saw themselves in you. How much pressure did you feel about your appearance or to be perfect or to make people believe that you were very, very confident? How much pressure did you feel to live up to that? Before I took my makeup off on national television and I was working as a news anchor, I felt a lot of pressure. I mm. felt pressure that I put on myself when I would go through a Starbucks drive through and someone would say, oh, I watch your morning show. And I was like, oh, I hope I didn't disappoint them when I just met them right now. I hope I inspired them in that 30 seconds. I hope, right, that, yeah. that whole thing we tell ourselves, the whole right. inner critic would come in and say, oh, you could have said something more funny in that moment or, oh, you could, you know, they would make comments like, oh, you're so much smaller in person. You should really talk to the producers because I don't know what they're doing with the cameras, but no, no, really, you should really look. And they mean so well. And you're I like, know, oh. you want to punch them. <laughs> you're like, oh. It's because so many people don't realize camera naturally just makes us all, you know, look a little different than we look in real life and all those things. Right. So it used to let it impact me and turn into insecurities and stuff like that. Something happened to me in this process of taking my makeup off hmm. on national television, showing my rosacea. One, so many more people felt seen, appreciated, connected, inspired, less alone, right? And I had this big realization that, you know, and I would think about Oprah, right? My whole life, she was my mentor long before I ever met her in real life. And I would think about, oh, wow, imagine if Oprah, and I have these real life moments, right? Anytime a viewer would write in and complain about my weight or say something that was hurtful or whatever, I started realizing, oh my gosh, if Oprah had never shared all of those real things about herself, would she have ever become mm. one of the most impactful right. people in the world? And little things like that would give me more courage to do it. But when I finally started doing this on national television, realizing, oh, wow, A, this isn't about me. <laughs> it's like so much bigger than myself, what I'm doing. It actually, I was able with my own mindset shift to truly believe. I literally, until this day, truly believe 
that my rosacea is beautiful. So mm. I will go into a grocery store, no makeup. And I think it's a service that all of us women and every human being, no matter what we've got going on that we think is a flaw or is an insecurity or is less than, I believe that when we shift our mind around, let me share it, the real, like, let me reveal the real, mm -hmm. it's freeing for us. Because mm -hmm. when we share it, we think, you know, oh, I bet you someone in this grocery store today is going to see this and they're going to be like, oh, I'm not alone in my own skin issues. And maybe I don't need to wear makeup. I may, you know, maybe some days I'm going to wear makeup the way I wear clothes and dress up and, and I'm going to feel it. But then maybe some days I'm not the way I want to wear sweats and I'm going to wear no makeup and I'm going to be just as confident, right? right? So for me, it was like, okay. And in the messaging, when you talk about marketing too, it's like how it's, you know, for me, it was bigger and it was how to create a makeup brand too that makes you feel great on the days you actually want to wear it, that makes you feel as beautiful on the days you don't. Yeah. And I think it's freeing. And I think no matter what our insecurities are, our flaws are, there's so much power in sharing them, right? Because A, then they kind of shrink, they get smaller. And B, they're kind of not about ourselves anymore. Right. <laughs> you know? So it's got the that more I do it, yeah. And the more I do it, the bigger our community has grown. I want to say it's over, it was over 7 million uh, paying customers in the U.S. before. That's insane. Hey, thanks for allowing me to interrupt this fantastic interview with my girl, Jamie, to bring to you the exciting news that we have a new show sponsor. They are called Bloomscape, and you can check them out at bloomscape.com. Now, what is Bloomscape? It is the place where you need to go if you are looking for beautiful indoor and even outdoor plants. And hold on, even if you're not a green thumb, in fact, especially if you're not a green thumb, this is the place to go. Bloomscape makes it so easy for you to grow beautiful, lush plants inside your home, even if you don't have a green thumb. They deliver healthy plants right to your door. I don't know about you, but I find it a real pain in the butt to have to drive to a nursery and then pick out plants and then put them in my car. And then half the time they get damaged while I'm trying to transport them back and the dirt dumps all over. And it was just so convenient and so easy to order from Bloomscapes. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, like my house looks pretty dang good because of all the plants that I have. And I love the fiddly figs that I've got from Bloomscapes. Now, you know, plants are kind of like fashion and interior design, like plants go in and out of style. And I have to tell you, the fiddly fig is the plant to have right now. Plant Mom, the founder of Bloomscapes and her experts known as the Grow How team will answer your questions. They will help you select the right plant. They will help you with plant care. I'm telling you, you will be someone who's able not just to keep a plant alive, but to help your plants look lush and beautiful. Now, the cool thing about Bloomscapes is if you've never done this before, if you don't know how to keep a plant alive, they will help you. They will help you figure out where to start, which plant to select, depending on your room, your light, all these cool things. And listen, it's so convenient. They come shipped to your door. I opened up the box and I'm like, how is this going to work? I'm about to get a live plant. Yeah. And it was beautiful. So gorgeous. And you're going to get 15% off your plant order of over $100 when you use the promo code Shaleen. So check it out. Go to bloomscape.com 
for 15% off all orders over $100. Again, it's bloomscape.com. And do not forget to enter the code Shaleen for your 15% off. You know, when I have a female entrepreneur who's married and kind of did business with your spouse, sometimes I'll hear that it was a real struggle because there's that like, you know, I don't want to say it's innate, but you know, there is this biological thing where a man wants to protect and provide and you're in a female, predominantly female driven business. You're the face of the brand. Did that ever take a toll on the relationship between the two of you? Mm. I think what took the biggest toll was that, you know, and this really, Shaleen, for anybody who we're so tempted to go into business with our partner or a close friend or family member, because we trust them. So you have that foundation of trust, right? So it just feels like it makes so much sense. And I, of course, had so many people warn me, whatever you do, don't go into business with your partner or your, right? But I thought, oh, no, no, that's just them. It'll be different for me. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It is a miracle that my husband and I are still married. It's a miracle we love each other, that we got through it. And we failed at a lot of things. And one of them was- Was there ever a stage where you felt like, okay, this has actually brought us together? Yes, because I think if I had done 100-hour weeks like I did alone without, without him being part of it, we would have grown so far apart and had nothing in common probably during that season yeah, and vice versa. So I think that commonality of at least shared experiences brought us closer. There are so many times where I cried myself to sleep at night after another hard, brutal rejection. And he was the mm-hmm. one that was like, you know, pray if you feel in your gut that God's telling you to keep going, I'm going to support you, like all those things, right? So those things for sure were big blessings throughout the whole thing. And the fact that we were just all in together, that was huge. I don't know many people that would work as hard as we did. One of my best friends, Jackie, joined the company early on, and she also worked that hard. And it's rare to find people that will be there when it's not glamorous. It's not fun. You're not getting success. You're not you don't know how you're gonna pay the bills, like all those things. You know, so I really congratulate you that you weathered that and mm-hmm. that you're a testament that you can get through it and and that you prioritize each other. And I guess I would be curious to know how have things changed in your relationship yeah. since the sale of your company? Because I'm sure you still have yeah. a ton of responsibilities. Uh, I don't know, well, but I, I assume. Yeah. I mean, we're working on repairing a lot of things because while we did grow closer in some areas, We worked so much. And one area we failed at is we were never able to set boundaries between work and personal. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if we would start this new rule where we would say, okay, at nine o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night or whatever the time is, no more work talk, no more work talk. And we're just going to talk about, you know, personal stuff or whatever. It literally failed every time. It, It could be the one that said the thing or the other person would inevitably at some point be like, Oh, did you hear about that contracting that fell through? And today this, ha- you know, and it was just like, it got to the point where when my phone would ring or my cell phone would ring and I saw my husband's name, I equated that to a work call, yeah. not to a personal call. Yeah, and, yeah. and we became such, I don't know, robot slash work partners, but it came at the price of like our marriage 
which I've never talked about before. Well, ever, I'm so right? happy but that I you're being honest Im- about this. It's important because I think yeah. going into this, anybody who who's going to go into this with a partner or even a friend or family member, I didn't understand before I did it how easy it is to have these gray areas where something goes so wrong or they do something you feel is disrespectful or hurtful at work or whatever, and then you don't want to see them for dinner and you don't want to go out to coffee or whatever it is. And and it's hard to get through. And so, you know, part of the decision to sell our company, we both completely became addicted to work and Mm -hmm. we were both doing hundred hour weeks. And, you know, we thought, oh my gosh, there's the exciting, sexy stuff, which is, oh, you can take your company public and make so much more money and ring the bell and all the, at the stock exchange, all the things. But I realized if we do that, mm. we're going to keep working 100-hour weeks. Like I didn't trust mm. myself. And I had this epiphany that work addiction or busyness or any, it's like any other addiction, right? And it, it separates us from ourselves. It numbs everything in a big way in our lives. And I decided to trust myself that I couldn't trust myself to stay in that role. And so when we were looking at what are our options, I thought, okay, well, I care so much about our mission. It's growing big time. And we had just started uh, launching into other countries. And I had this huge realization like, oh, every country has their own regulatory compliance laws and HR policies. Mm. Really hard to figure this all out from our own team. We could do it but we're going to grow really slow. And if we partner with someone like L'Oreal that has teams on the ground in like over a hundred countries that are yeah. local and experts at culture in that, in that country and laws and everything else, we could actually grow so much faster. And so I thought, okay, that's going to be the best thing. Plus I need to not own this anymore. Yeah. And I need to make some big changes in my life. I was so burnt out after. And how about that grief that sets in after? You sell a company. <laughs> yeah. It was I literally a, did grief counseling. I, I couldn't figure out what you? was wrong with me. Like, why am I not happy? Everyone's like, are you so mm. ex- pumped? Are you so excited? I'm like, yes, which was a lie. I felt, mm. I felt like I had raised a child and then given it to a stranger. Ah. And I just, I didn't know how to feel. And I really struggled with it. So I finally, you know, was doing therapy and my therapist was like, I think we need to do very specific grief counseling for you. And that was incredibly helpful. And you feel guilty even like explaining that to people because they're like, get over it, (laughs) right? You know, because there's a certain amount of, I guess, resentment almost or guilt that we feel when we don't want to complain because you have so many incredible blessings, right? Mm. But I'm happy to hear that you're so honest and transparent about why you made that decision, how you made that decision, and what you prioritize. And I think it's really, really rare. It is so rare. And I want to commend you for that. I wish more people would do that. I think more commonly, and you know, sometimes it just happens, but I think more commonly we see that people choose their career over their relationship. And certainly there are instances where one party just doesn't want to try, right? But I really commend the two of you for for doing that. I have to imagine that also being young and having young children you know, there's something about motherhood that makes you go, what is more important to me? Like, what do I want to be able to, to do? And man, when, with a schedule like that, it's really tough to be there day to day. 
Yeah. And, you know, I was raised by parents that worked so hard and we didn't have a lot, but they worked really hard for it, but they worked a lot. So I was alone a lot as a kid and watched them work so hard. And I, you know, found myself repeating that also. And, you know, one thing that I share in Believe It that I've never talked about is when this burnout was all happening, I was trying to get pregnant and trying Mm. to start a family. And I went through this season of several years of doing these crazy QVC hours while going to IVF and not being able to carry a pregnancy through full term and just trying to go through this process. And so, you know, another big big realization also was the impact stress has on, right, on our physical body, as you know better than, and you share so much brilliant content around that in your own experiences. But it's like, I was realizing, okay, I've even tried medical advances to do everything I can to start a family and it's not happening. And our journey was happening in parallel personally. We're having all these personal setbacks and failures and and hardships that I was keeping private and secret, right? So I would get back from this overnight QVC show, go straight into like a a. 7am fertility appointment, this whole thing, and then into the office for meetings. And it was this whole thing. And, you know, one of the things my husband shares now and believes is that had we not sold to L'Oreal, and by the way, it wasn't so easy selling to L'Oreal, especially right. for one point two billion dollars cash. You're and like, all that. you know, I just, I just <laughs> made a phone call, and then, <laughs> and on, it was a three year journey of them saying no for three years. How many and by years the did time, you negotiate? Uh, well, we went through diligence a couple of times in meetings, and then they would always just pass on investing. Yeah. And so it was me having this gut feeling Even like that I, is so expensive. Like people have no idea like yes. that it's, and you can't convey that to your employees. So you feel like you're yeah. living this lie. You can't convey it to them legally, but yet you feel like you're being dishonest. It's just painful, th- that whole process. So I know yeah. we've kind of like went, oh, and then we sold to L'Oreal and made it sound like it was just a snap of the fingers, but that's a whole journey in and of itself. A whole journey. Yeah. And I talk about too, just how important it is to not take all this rejection personally. Because when I look back at how we finally got a yes from L'Oreal and how it was their largest acquisition in US history and all that kind of thing, a big part of that was not taking it personally in all those years when they did say no. And so anyways, that was all happening. But my husband says, you know, he believes now he's grateful that we did the acquisition because you know, a year after, and I agreed to stay on L'Oreal for three years. They made me their mm-hmm. first woman to hold a CEO title in their hundred plus year history. And I worked really hard the That's first crazy. two years. That crazy, is crazy. Right? And we doubled the size of the business in the first two years post-acquisition. But then Paolo and I also started down the adoption route and the surrogacy route. And by the way, there's so many crazy stories in this book that are personal too, not just yeah. business lessons. You know, I found out by surprise, in my late 20s, I was adopted. And this, this whole crazy journey of that's happened and unfolded. But anyhow, when we sold the business, we started down the adoption path and the surrogacy path. And we ended up going full speed ahead with both. And surrogacy went way faster for whatever reason. And, you know, we welcomed our daughter, Wonder, into the world and um, two years after the L'Oreal sale. And he really believes that had we not sold our business that, you know, we may not have our daughter and now our son. And, you know, I'm, I'm working hard to grow 
And to, because even with this book, to be honest, I find myself right back into those tendencies of, oh, I need to be all in. Like, do you have any advice? How could, like before we started filming the show, right? Before I started taping the show, I'm like, let me know if you have any advice. I know nothing about being a first time author. I poured my heart and soul into this, but it's that mindset of how can I drive this to try and get it and to serve as many people as possible. And so the difference now is I'm mindful of what only doing that (laughs) did to my, you know, God willing, it didn't impact my health in ways I don't know. I pray every day it didn't, but I do know I went a decade. Do you think you were sleep deprived? Oh, definitely. Oh, And also I would down a 20 ounce Starbucks venti coffee or two or three, and then be able to just go right to sleep. And wow, for years, so sleep deprivation for years, yes. And was not a good owner of a body or a good part, you know, wife and family member and all that. And so I'm mindful of that and I'm, I'm working hard to make better choices. And I think it's one thing to know oh, I should have done this differently. And then it's another thing to go, let me figure out how to overcome those deep grooves and patterns in my brain that I've carved in and those habits over and over and over. And on that journey of making new choices. Well, just know this, even if your book doesn't hit the New York Times bestseller list, it's remarkable. And it is going to change people's lives. It is so inspirational and it's so real, just honest. And I think- in this industry, and you know, we hang out with a lot of the same people. We love attaching that to our names. Oh, New York Times bestselling author, mm-hmm. but like the rest of the world doesn't care. You know what I mean? The average person doesn't know the difference between Amazon bestseller in a very obscure category <laughs> and a New York Times bestseller. We do it to impress each other. And, you know, when you are driven in the way that you are and that I am, we can really get caught up in those measures. But I'm happy to hear that. You just really want this to empower women. Like that's such yeah. a cool piece of your message and how you you just really want women to take away from this book and guys too. But more importantly, women to stop like because we are so sometimes our, our own worst enemy due to comparison, due to, you know, just not bringing each other along for the ride. And I think that's a really important takeaway from your book. Jamie, as we're just finishing up on the end of this, can you share with us what is your number one? one suggestion when you mentioned people like learning not to take it personally that negative comment that criticism the rejection the people who don't think that you are their cup of tea how do you not take that personal Mm, yeah i realize that first of all i love that famous saying rejection is god's protection i have enough experiences with rejection now from investors telling me like passing on investing in the company because they don't think quote unquote women will buy makeup from someone who looks like me with my body and my weight right i have so many retail stores saying rejection when saying no and and rejecting us when i look back i really believe that rejection is protection mm, mm, i believe mm. it i have faith in that every single day. And, you know, listen, this is whether someone has the same faith I do or a different faith or no faith or trust in the universe. This, I think this prayer is applicable. Like I pray every single day that God brings the right people into my life and has the wrong ones leave. Mm -hmm. And so when I get this rejection in the form and often the past decade, I would grow so dependent on employees that I loved 
and I was in survival mode. So I felt like I couldn't live without them. And when we started getting really successful and the competitors would come and try to poach people from us. And anytime I would lose an employee, I used to get so hurt by it because it felt like a betrayal or a rejection. And I started adopting and believing this prayer. And in almost every case, you know, I either got more peace because they were gone later eventually, or someone way stronger replaced them. I trust that prayer. And so when I get rejected now, and it could be simple things like I keep trying to get this office building and then the landlord doesn't want to give, whatever it is, any form of rejection or a friend, like I'm trying to be friends with someone and like, they're just not into it. Mm -hmm. Any, I mean, we get rejection in all kinds of forms. For me, the biggest thing that helps me get through it is that trust and that faith, you know, God bring the right people in my life, have the wrong ones leave. And I trust it. And so I know, okay, they're not rejecting me. They're just, God's moving out of the way. Yeah. And I don't see why. I don't know why. I don't understand why, but I'm going to have faith in why. And then I don't lose my life obsessing about that, right? Because rejection hurts and it sucks and it feels personal. And Um, it never gets to a point where you don't feel it at all. I certainly that today it's easier. I know it is for me. I can't say that. I don't still have to catch myself and use that exact phrase. I love that phrase. Is that a Joel Olstein? It sounds like a Joel Olstein phrase of rejection. I don't know. It's not mine. It's someone not will let phrase. us know for sure. Someone will let us know because, yeah, it's so good. Anytime and, um, there's a quote not attached to someone, my son likes to take credit for it. So we'll say it's Brock's quote. Yeah, it's definitely He's notorious Brock's. for stealing my quotes. But yeah, <laughs> I, I still have to remind myself, you know, and, and as successful as you are, I hope that those listening will keep that in mind. It's never like, oh, cool. I've gotten to this level of success and now I don't worry about rejection. I don't feel those things. You still do. I think we just get a little quicker at being resilient and bouncing back from those rejections, but they still give you a little snip of, am I, is there something wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Why don't they like me? Why did they say no? Was this not, you know, enough? So thank you for sharing that. And I think that's really beautiful wisdom. Our listeners Make sure you pick up a copy of this book. And P.S., it's also going to be available on Audible. By the time that you are listening to this, I want you to take full advantage of all of the gifts that Jamie has put together for you. You can get those by going to believeit.com. And this is the book you need to read because you do need to believe it. You might not even know what it is right now, but you need to start with belief. Everything starts with belief. And her journey is so inspirational and so real and so authentic. And and this is a great read. Jamie, thank you so much for being a guest here today. Thank you so much.